I believe that there is a power contained within our stories. And that power belongs not just to us, but to everyone who hears our story. I'm Amanda Solar, the founder and host of Soulful Connections and the creator of SoulfulLiving.com. Let's grow together and let's connect. Connection. There we are. So I'm excited because I'm here with Bill Bentram and I have known Bill Bentram as a leading entrepreneur, the owner of Buckingham Computers. So when I think of you, Bill, I think of you know, a computer person. I also can't help but think of you as a very family-oriented fellow. <laughs> but what I'm understanding is that you have been producing books, right? Both writing them and then producing them for other people as well. Oh, really? Can you share how you went from where I knew you with Buckingham Computers to book author and publisher can you share that journey um after i retired i'd always wanted to write a book and so my sister had been complaining about her 11 grandchildren whining and i wrote i like to whine and it was fun because i got uh, an email from one woman who said that her kid now hated me because i at the end of the book, I suggest that the adults read the book as that they were the child and have the child read as the adult. And she said her kid got horrified at how much her whining annoyed him. And so I thought, well, that was fun. And then I wrote Mommy's Black Eye, which is on domestic violence. And wow. sadly, that resonated uh even today and it's uh, probably closing in on 12 or 13 years old it's one of my better selling books and i got an email from a woman who said she used that book to cite a discussion with her 17 year old daughter who was in an abusive relationship wow and it yeah. wasn't it was the target market was uh, you know second to fifth graders and here she was using with a 17 year old so that kind of inspired me and and so then you just do things like uh at our place in florida i met a 12 year old boy who had just gotten an insulin pump and he was just frustrated because his friends didn't know what diabetes they didn't have any idea what diabetes was let alone why he was wearing this thing and Jay, uh, it's called Jack's Diabetes, and Jay is now 21, 21 or 22 years old, is dealing fine with his diabetes, but he told me that the book really helped, and he showed the book to his friends, too, and his grandfather, like, you know, his grandfather became one of my biggest fans, because he said, I can't believe how much that book helped Jay. So, you know, that's how 
most of the books come that way from somebody that I've met or something playing bridge one night. The woman, a, a woman said, do you have anything in divorce? And I said, no, I don't. And she said, boy, she said, we really could use something. And so I wrote Mom and Dad are Splitting. And it's about two girls who are, the younger one is convinced that it's their fault. And the older one is just angry. And it is tries to help uh, kids see that divorce isn't their fault. So all the books kind of, you just run into people and they say, you need to do this. At my dermatologist, she poked me and she said, do you know that 50% of the kids who are diagnosed with psoriasis are diagnosed depressed? I said, I know that. And so she poked me again and she said, you need to write a book on that. So like Jack's diabetes and, and you know, the book on, on psoriasis, I, I conferred with people in the field. I, I always like to make sure that I'm not spreading internet gook that I'm actually dealing with facts. And she sent the book down to, as she called it, a friend of hers who's a world-renowned pediatric uh, dermatologist in Atlanta, and that woman made a couple of suggestions, and I put those in the book. And so then Joey psoriasis, and it was to help kids understand that they they see a kid with a rash in his arm, and they think it's contagious, and they don't want to be near them. And the book is to help kids understand that this isn't something you can catch, and it's okay to be friends with somebody who's got psoriasis. So that's where all the book ideas come from. Incredible. So, so it feels it like, like, were you an educator? I spent 10 years in education. I okay. was, I taught fifth grade in, in rural Valley, Pennsylvania, which was the Armstrong County School District. And it was 40% of my kids were in relief. And wow. You couldn't do any wrong because the parents saw education as a way to get their kids out of the mines. And I still keep contact. I've got <laughs> just this week, I had contact with one of my absolute favorite fifth graders who is now a grandmother and really blows my mind. <laughs> uh, and there I came to Central Bucks and talk about cultural shock where kids are driving BMWs to school from yeah. where kids have to get their meals at school. So, you know, then I um, taught seventh grade at Tamman. I was at CB West and taught 10th, 11th, 12th, went to Ben Salem as a guidance counselor, taught adult evening school, and then I taught some courses in computers at uh, Del Val. And then I started the, I bought the deli and I had a oh. deli for 10 years and started the computer business. That's incredible. So it feels like you have like that educational background, that entrepreneurial background, and you have a lot of compassion because all, the books have that thread so it makes me just wonder where that comes from. Is it from your parents, like your parents or your, can you kind of share your childhood? 
Where did it all begin, Bill? <laughs> I had my first business. I was uh, probably about eight years old. I bought a bucket, a squeegee, and I washed the storefront windows. Uh, and I can't imagine I did a decent job, but they they were willing to pay me to get the, the it was a steel town. So you could wash the windows once a day and they'd still be dirty. Um, and I had a news route. My first story was written on a typewriter that I won by selling the most magazines in a magazine campaign when I was probably seventh grade. Uh, so I, I give my parents credit in that the work ethic, um, I've never been afraid of work. And I've understood from the get-go, after working in the steel mill, I've understood you have to work hard to make a living. And I think I taught both my boys that because they're both successful. Uh, so growing up in that environment, my dad was a prolific reader. My dad was brilliant and uneducated. His dad died when he was 13, and he struggled to finish high school, not because he was uh, incompetent, but because he was trying to put food on the table for his mother and his brother and his two sisters. So he was a prolific reader, and he introduced me to the library, and in sixth grade, I was the only elementary school kid to have an adult library card because I had read everything in the wow. children's section. Yeah. And I credit my dad with turning me on to a love of books. Um, maybe even a smidge of an obsession of books. Yeah. Uh, when we downsized, I gave away 2,000 books. Wow. And I just kept the 1,000 in my to-be-read pile. And I I'm, I'm, I review books from my blog. I've got oh. two different blogs, and I review books. And so publishers are always sending me books. So that the, the influence that my dad gave me on my books. My mother gave me a love of pie. Uh, <laughs> my That's dad love. gave me a love of books. So, so well, first of all, books. What? You'll have to give me the blog, you know, how I get to that blog. But um, what is there a specific type of book? Do you like all types of books? Um, I've told the publicist pretty much anything but romance. Right. Which is kind of amusing because in my uh, novel, Kiku's Quest, she is, um, she falls for, she's a street urchin and she falls for a sophisticated spaceman. And they end up, according to their 2,500 telepathic dog, uh, that someday they're going to have puppies. So yeah. <laughs> I put romance in my book, but I don't like reading it. <laughs> yes. So what books have made an impact on you? When you think about books that have really kind of shaped you, do any come to mind? Uh, in spite of the bad press that, um, Stranger in Strange Land got when that idiot Manson claimed that he got ideas for it from it. Oh, I see. Um, Heinlein's books made me think uh, mm -hmm. and wonder about how we live, not just 
he wasn't just science fiction. He was sociological. He made you question relationships and uh, family values. And he he made me ponder things. Um, but Heinlein and Asimov, uh, you know, they, they, and of course, Tolkien. I mean, the fantasy. Um, there was a thing on Facebook, uh, something about what book has impacted you. And uh, Glory Road is probably the one of the few fantasies that Robert Heinlein wrote. And it's one of the few books I've read probably three, maybe four times, because every time it's entertaining, but it makes me think about something. Yeah, yeah. Um, going back to the fact that you taught in such different environments, I'm just hopping back to that because it popped. Is there a thread? Like there are different cars. I mean, I don't even know if kids were driving cars where you originally taught and here you come and they're driving BMWs. And is there something that is kind of universal, even with those diverse backgrounds that you found when you educated young people? Kids want to be seen and they frequently feel invisible. And I saw that in, in you know, rural valley and i saw that in ben salem and i saw that in Tamanen. and the real bright kids are frequently seen the middle and lower kids um they often feel invisible they feel that nobody sees them and, and a lot of times the, the bad kids the ones that are in trouble are trying to be seen they want yeah. somebody to know they exist and and that was that that thread went through the kids um it, it ben salem i would go out in the halls and look for kids who looked down that looked depressed i would i i i would look actively try and find the kids who didn't make eye contact who or who were assertively aggressive and talk to them and like i had one girl that she would come into my office and she just puts she puts around she'd clean she never talked to me but she'd leave me notes and her home background was not great and it took two years of her coming into my office before she finally talked to me. And, 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 and her nickname was Mitch. And she was, she was, you know, just a step different than the other kids. I mean, she didn't dress in traditional girls' clothes, but she was definitely a girl. And she was a little out of step with her peers. But... She would leave me. I, I mean, I still have them. I have poems that she wow. wrote. And, you know, the kid took three years. I mean, the third year she opened up and started talking to me about what her life was like. And, and that was the kind of thing that made education um, so awesome. 
to be able to see kids blossom. We need a bunch of you in the schools, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> so back to that compassion that you have, is that from reading where you could imagine other people's lives? Is it rooted in the way your parents raised you? Where, what, where does that stem from? That compassion that you seem to have in spades. I, even in, I mean, I, I can remember in <laughs> keeping in mind the time period, this is the, the 50s. Um, I got into a lot of fights. And it, most of the time was because I was defending somebody else. And, and, and Johnny Miller, if you hear this, I'm sorry. But Johnny <laughs> Miller was a little tiny guy. And consequently, he was a butt of a lot of ill humor, and people picked on him. And I know three separate occasions I got into a fight because I got in the face of the person who was picking on Johnny. Now, the downside is that I was tall, I was skinny, I had a big mouth, and I wasn't very adept at fighting. So I got my butt kicked a lot, but it was worth it. Um, and a good example uh, <laughs> of the environment, my dad, I worked in the mill. Most of the time I wasn't on a ship with my dad, but I was on a ship with my dad one day and I saw a guy giving him grief, really getting into his face. So in the locker room, I jacked the guy up and I told him I never wanted to see him messing with my dad again. I slammed him against the lockers a few times. I, I was I was much more capable then. Um, I wasn't old. Uh, and he, and I walked around the corner and I get slammed against the locker and jacked up. And my dad said, I don't need a snot-nosed college kid trying to run my business. <laughs> you know, and and he appreciated that I was sticking up for him, but he didn't want me to be doing it that way and he didn't need it. So the, the growing up that way and feeling that you should take care of people who might not be able to take care of themselves. Um, and like, you know, my parents would have, um, you know, when church groups would come through and there'd be teenagers staying at our house because my parents were always putting up kids that, you know, that would be coming through for something. And you learned that everybody needs to be seen, not just kids. And, and even though it, you know, with COVID, it's, it's like not something you should be doing, but, but I send a lot of virtual hugs because people need contact. Yeah. Um, and going back my first year in education, my first review, my principal said, I love what you're doing. You're really great with the kids. The only problem I see is you haven't paddled anybody yet. I said, they're fifth graders. I'm 6'2", 200 pounds. Why do I need to paddle them? He said, you can't have good education without corporal punishment. Wow. So that was the philosophy in that area of the country in 1968. Um, even when I was coaching Little League, and it was, you know, you can't touch the kids. 
some guy over in Jersey got sued because he hugged his kid, at, you know, a kid at Little League. One of my kids, a, a girl who I worked with trying to get her to stay in the bottom of the batter's box. She was a good fielder, but she was scared to death of the batter's box. And I, I wanted her to get stay in the batter's box. You can't get a hit if you can't. And, of course, she stayed in. She got hit in the face with a pitch. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And I hugged her. And she's crying. And and I in my head, I'm going, I don't care. Right. Needs a hug. She's yeah. upset. She's hurt. I'm not going to stand there, pat her in the head and say, oh, tough up, little girl. And yeah. her dad came over after the game and told me, he said, you know, my wife told me that, and I don't remember her name, but anyway, that she got hit with, and he, he said, I appreciate you taking care of her. That's our fear of litigation, our fear of social ostracization, you know, prevents us from being humane to people who need it. And that's a shame. And in my books, I try and get the characters and show the characters having compassion. In, in Kiku's Quest, I have artificial intelligence. And the one of the characters goes, it doesn't matter if it's a dog with an IQ of 140 that's telepathic, or a person, or a multicolored alien, or a machine intelligence. If they show intelligence, they deserve compassion. We can't seem to do that in real life. Yes. That is powerful. Do you think, like, if you had an overall mission for yourself, would that be it? Would it be something about being kind to one another? Or what would it be? Yeah, I mean, I guess the thread through my books is uh, I want, um, like, Stumpy, the three-legged alligator. He loses his leg. He thinks he's useless because, you know, how can I defend myself? And Stanley, a duckbill, is upset because raccoons have been raiding his nest and he can't stop them. And he comes upon Stanley and he gets the idea, even a three-legged alligator would scare those raccoons. And he makes a deal with Stanley. If I help you heal... Stanley makes a deal with Stumpy. If I help you heal, will you help me? And Stumpy goes, I, I can't do anything. So Stanley feeds him fish. He gets Stumpy healthy. Stumpy then defends Stanley's nest against the raccoons. And at the end of the book, he bellows in his alligator voice that I'm not useless. I might be impaired, but I'm not useless. I can be su successful, and I can even be a hero. And the idea is to get it across to kids that might be impaired. Um, that, that that shouldn't stop you from what you're doing. Well, I went and particular. My uh, I got um, Destiny loves rocks. Destiny's uh, loves dragon or Destiny, the girl who loves rocks. Destiny loved dragons. Destiny. The Purple Knight. 
Destiny is a little girl who finds a, a, a rock and turns out that that rock is really a dragon's egg. In the second book, the dragon's egg hatch. The third book, she and the dragon save the world from alien invaders. My point there was to make a girl a hero. I get upset that women are marginalized in so much fiction and they're marginalized as victims, but they're so seldom heroic. And in Kiku's Quest and Kiko the Paladin, she's the, her boyfriend, eventually husband, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> but she's the butt kicker. She's the one who is strong. And that's what I want. And that may have come from having granddaughters. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's what I want girls to feel, that they can do anything. I love that. So how many books have you written? <laughs> um, 45. Wow, Bill, I had no idea. That is prolific. So Bill, like, do you sit down ever or like sit on the couch and eat Cheetos and do nothing? I'm not, that's hard for me. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite books, and it's not available, it, it's... My sister transcribed my dad's diaries, and I turned that into a book. I got pictures, you know, um, I have pictures of the ship he sailed to Panama, and he served in Panama in uh, 38, 39, uh, pictures of a 20-year-old father in a Smokey the Bear hat and riding pants and pair of 45s pointing at the camera, and it. I just wish I would have read that before my dad died. Because his, like he talks about his experiences in Germany and France when, when he served. And, and my dad was a player when he was a teenager. <laughs> the guy, he talks about his dating and I'm going, holy smokes. But, you know, I put that together in a book and I had it printed and I gave one to my boys. And my sister gave them to her kids and we gave them to all the grandchildren because we'd like to know their heritage. We'd like them to know, this is where you came from. This man, had he, he didn't have an easy life. He made it a good home, though. That is powerful. He didn't have an easy life, but he made it a good home. That That's wonderful. So, Bill, if you had, like, what is a perfect day for you? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect would be starting, and, and this is this is not a commercial. I get nothing from them, but would start with a yum yum donut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> um, I, I am I'm like I just I just finished a book for a a person. Um, I have a a client who she and her husband have a foundation, and they have funded a school in Kenya for blind albino Kenyan children. And she wanted to write books, but she didn't know how to get them illustrated, how to get them produced. And so my nephew introduced her to me. We, we hit it off and we did four books, uh, large print books for her, her kids in Kenya. Um, and Amanda, 
when I saw a picture of these little kids holding books in front of them in front of this cement block school in Kenya, it brought tears to my eyes because I was part of that. She wrote the books, but I got them out there for the kids to have. Blew me away. Well, now she is a reading specialist, blind kids she helps. And so she's done books. Her most recent one was her concern about the reef in Florida. And so it was little fish and their how to help clean the reef. I get a, I get a kick out of that. I mean that I mean, you know, to get up and do something that makes something happen. Um you know, out for a walk in the neighborhood, I ran into a red Labrador retriever. I'd never seen a red lab. I thought at first it was it's a fox red Labrador retriever. Never seen one before. His name was Joe. I got to thinking, hmm. So I wrote Joe, the Labrador, you know, the red lab. And Joe's wondering, gee, am I as good as the yellow and black and the chocolate labs? And throughout the book, he's concerned because he's different. And at the end of the book, he realizes it doesn't matter what color you are. It's your behavior that should define you. So I addressed racism without ever mentioning race or people. So that hopefully these people that want to censor books will not be offended, but it will get across to the kids that it's okay to be different. And you're just as good as any other kid. That's what makes me, that's what, that's what floats my boat. That's what gets me up. Wow. I'm, I'm religious. I'm not church going. I, I was, but I'm not. But I pray every night to make a difference. That's, that's my prayer. I want to make a difference to somebody. You know, make something better. And that's what I want to do every day. If it's just telling the girl at the eye doctor yesterday that her personality would be better suited for somebody eight feet tall. I said, because your personality is so big, you should be a giant. And, you know, she was appreciative of that, but she deserved it. She was awesome. And you think, it's so easy to be to make people feel better. And yet, you know, you see so much rudeness and you see people not caring about other people's feelings. I you get know what? That's incredible. That is an inspiration. So so a combination of a yum-yum donut and changing the world <laughs> makes a perfect day. <laughs> a little bit of, and, and I'm, I'm aware. My, my, my goal for my book is to impact one kid. If one kid feels better about himself because he read my book, I'm happy. Now, the weird thing is when I get my royalty reports, I can't see where 
but, but I can see nationwide, but I can't. And like Jack's Diabetes sells in Japan. I don't know why. It's in English. I had Mommy's Black Eye translated in Spanish for the Latin American community, but I in I unknowingly had it trans I had translated by a woman in Madrid who was the <laughs> sister of one of my son's old girlfriends. <laughs> and she did it in Castilian, which is the business Spanish in Spain. And it's not Latin American Spanish. So I thought, well, there's 400 bucks down the drain. And the book sells in Spain, which was not my goal. My goal right. was Latin American community. So I get those royalty reports and I go, I don't, what? It's, it's fascinating the way, mm -hmm. you know, the world is your stage. Uh, August, somebody bought 600 copies of Shorter Tall Doesn't Matter at All. Shorter Tall Doesn't Matter at All was by about Rachel, who was in my is in my son's neighborhood. And she was the shortest girl in fifth grade. And she was picked on. And she'd get off the bus. I'd meet the bus to meet my grandson. And he's off playing. And Rachel's latched onto my hand and wants me to walk with her to home, which we do. And so I wrote it and printed it onto my computer and gave it to her. And her mother called me that night and said, you got to make this a book. She said, I can't believe the impact this is having on Rachel. And Rachel is graduating this year from Smith and is planning on medical school. And she's still tiny, but she's a powerhouse. I mean, she just, and Short or Tall Doesn't Matter at All was based on Rachel and how she helped the biggest girl who was a bully out of a jam and the biggest girl realized short or tall, it doesn't matter. You can be a good person either way. And and who bought 600 copies? How That's, interesting. That makes me crazy because I'd like to know, but I have no, I just get, 600 copies were sold. Yes. Why? I mean, I'd love to know that. Yeah. That's exciting. And you know, I'm thinking we all need to read your books, Bill, all of us. <laughs> you know? My wife read, uh, she is not a science fiction reader. And she read Kiku's Quest and she said, read Kiko the Paladin Princess. And she said, I love the character interaction. And she said, your imagination is scary. She said, I don't, can't Im the things you come up with. She said, the science stuff just kind of bothered me. But she said, the interaction and the characters, I loved. And she's my, I mean, and, and you know, she's my harshest critic. But, you know, she's she knows what she likes. And she liked she liked the books in spite of the fact she can't stand, as she calls it, woo-woo <laughs> science fiction. <laughs> yes, I, I love that. I love the woo-woo science fiction. Bill, you're amazing. And what I would love to do is, you know, put a link as to where people can find out more and to your blogs because um, you're doing great things. I'm so happy that we caught up. This is so powerful. I appreciate it. Um, I did 
just this morning, I was talking to a woman whose son was hit by a, a police car in a high-speed chase and had 13 surgeries. And they're trying to get him off a walker. And I told her about Stumpy, and she really liked it. But I said, I also have a link on my website. Because kids have always got their faces and their tablets, and, and it's hard getting kids to read. So I read Stumpy. I made a video of me reading Stumpy. You don't see me. You see the book. I'm not that egocentric. Um, and it's out there so that somebody can go to a YouTube video and have the book read to them. That's and nice. I'm, I'm trying to get multimedia that, that get kids... Uh, if, you, if you can get kids to read, as far as I'm concerned, if you can learn to read and enjoy books, you will be a success because there's nothing that doesn't demand reading. I mean, yeah. some part of it demands reading. Mm -hmm. You got to be able to read to be successful. Yeah. And I think that reading also does open our eyes to so many concepts it's it's a way of introducing ideas and differences and concepts that you might not otherwise you know connect with yeah yeah it's <laughs> yeah like 2500 pound telepathic dogs <laughs> <laughs> so was your most recent what was your most recent one the the dog one is oh, uh, a lab of a different color. And yeah. I try and do two picture books a year. And wow. the um, the the novels, the differential, you know, when you go from maybe 1,200 words to 93 or 94,000 words, uh, there's, there's uh, Stumpy, the three-legged alligator, and a lab of different color uh, are the two, two most recent. Uh, and Kiku, the Paladin Princess, came out earlier this year, and they're they're in Kindle and paper and hardback. And um, I've got a third Kiku book, which will finish up that series. And then I've got a murder mystery, which will not be for kids. Uh, that. I, I'm sure I won't live long enough to do all the things that are in my head because there's so many things that I want to write about. Can I ask you about your process? In other words, do you have a certain, like, do you get up every single day? Do you write every day? Do you have a certain time? Like, what is your schedule like? When when I'm in when I'm in, when I'm writing something, usually like the picture books, I'll write in a week. I mean, I'll I'll you know I don't play golf. I don't. I just sit down and I get them done. I want them done, and then I've got an illustrator in Bosnia who is in tune with me. I can send her my book, and she sees what I wrote, and. Danny is she she is so she's a good illustrator, but the the connection we've made makes it so much easier. Um, mm -hmm. On this last book for the, that I did on the reef, I had to use another I used an illustration company in India, and 
it it wasn't it was kind of a nightmare because with Danny, I'm used to I get it back, tweak this, tweak that, it's done. This was, you know, diagrams and sketches and no, do it this way. And wow, so yes. the novels I try would I would try and write every day. Um and that's the key. When I talk to people and they say, oh, I'd really like to write a book, I said, do it. Don't talk about it. Don't dream about it. Sit down and do it. Sit down and start writing. If you don't like what you wrote, that's okay. Keep writing until you do. And be willing to, oh, be willing to spend the money on a good editor. Because I rewrote all my books after I found a good editor. I mean, the ones that were out there, I, I gave her, and <laughs> she's really good. She uh, she said, well, I sent her one, and I'm collecting some short stories for a book, and it's going to be uh, a, a um, you know, kind of a Halloween book, not kid-oriented, you know, and she's read the one story she said I didn't know you had a dark side uh, <laughs> but the gist of the book is karma that cool. bad people do bad things and it comes around and mm. it bites them in the butt and I can't help it I try and put something I, I try and put a moral in everything I write and and it's not like I try. It just comes that way. Um, yeah. The coming to the holiday season, I have one where Santa um, is accosted by a burglar and, you know, making it even shorter than it is. And the burglar is turned into a reindeer. And one of the reindeer is released. And Santa had... This was a bad guy before. He served his time. He released uh, that reindeer. This guy now has to serve his time as a reindeer. And it's... Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love karma. Yeah. Oh, I love karma too. Yeah. Well, Bill, I appreciate you. I appreciate what you're putting out into the world. It's wonderful. No, thank you for sharing it. And thank you for sharing that advice for writers. You know, I, I come across people all of the time who say, I want to write a book. And writing would seem to be an important part of writing a book. Well, <laughs> you know? yeah, it's, I mean, it's, if you are, like I, I had a woman who wrote a book her husband called me one night and said she's ready to spend $4,000 or $5,000 or whatever. She's got, you know, some vanity press company and she was going to get 50 books. They weren't going to be able to be sold or anything. It was just, and he said, talk to her. And I talked to her and I tried to explain to her, you know, you can do this or that. And computer she said, I don't have a computer. I hand wrote this. And um, so I got her, took her book and I, I, you know, I got it into Word, and I made it into a book, and I formatted it, and I dummied up a cover for them, and um, they liked the cover, which I kind of was, 
I mean, I'm not an artist, but they liked it, so they used that. But it was her experiences on the family farm while he was serving in Vietnam. And it was his letters to her from Vietnam. So it would be one chapter her on the farm and then one chapter him in Vietnam. And one of the chapters, I'm, I'm reading it, and she said that she's frustrated. It's his family's farm, and she's like, you know, I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. And she said, God, give me a sign. And the next day, her six-year-old was run over in the driveway. And it was a heavy snow. The guy that ran over him backed over him because he heard a thump. And the kid only had bruises. And she said that night she was in bed and a bright light appeared at the bottom of her bed. And a deep voice said, is that enough of a sign? Now, I got goosebumps when I read that. <laughs> I, mean, I'm I just like, got goosebumps with you telling me. I was like, oh, my God. And I had more fun putting that book together. And yeah. and I know the, I knew them, but now I know them. Yeah. And that's part of the fun, too, is putting books together for other people. Um, it cost her 400 bucks for me to make her book. Wow. And it's selling on Amazon. That Whereas great. $4,000 for somebody yes. that was scamming her. That's phenomenal, Bill. Wow. <laughs> I really do, yeah, Amanda. Great. I have so much fun. This is, this is, I mean, I enjoyed the deli. I enjoyed, I loved education. Um, and I enjoyed the computer business, but this is, this has got the, some of the satisfying aspects of education. Um, and I do it when, you know, when it, I mean, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll come out and I'll write down notes because, and the next morning I go, huh, don't want to use that idea or, whoa, this one's definitely going in the book. I can't turn it off. You're following your purpose. You know, that's really exciting. That's really what you're doing. You know, you're living your purpose. And love it. Hey, thanks for listening. And thanks to show advisor, Roseanne Griffiths, to the talented Bill Aronson, who wrote, produced, and performed the Soulful Connections theme song. Thank you to my friends and family who give me super feedback each show. And I would love to hear feedback and thoughts from you. You can do that by sending an email to soulfullife at gmail.com. That's S like solar, O-L-F-U-L-L-I-F-E at gmail.com. Thanks for connecting.